Heavenly Father, just as our bodies uh, require physical sustenance in order for us to have health and strength and, and to live our lives, so also uh, our souls require uh, that spiritual sustenance. And we pray that uh, you would be pleased this morning to help us to feed upon your word and that you would uh, bless to our hearts and understanding of your word that we might know your will and your ways, that we might know how to live before you. And we pray that we'd also know that power of the Holy Spirit to uh, to help us to live as we should. Uh, so please bless each one of us, reveal yourself to us, make yourself known and help us to live uh, faithfully as your people. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. My version is, uh, is slightly different uh, to yours. I read from the New King James Version. Um, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the book of Galatians, by and large, is really concerned with the question of justification. Uh, how can sinful people be made right in the eyes of a holy God? And uh, the short answer, of course, is not by obeying the law or you know, any kind of law, not through any uh, kind of obedience on our own part. Uh, of course, we're saved purely uh, by the work of Jesus Christ, in other words, the grace of God and simply trusting uh, in Christ's work on our behalf. This does not mean, however, because we are saved by grace, um, without any reference to law, that we are free to live however we choose. Like if you read through the book of Galatians, probably for about the first five, five and a half chapters, uh, Paul is really emphasising um, the significance of justification and grace, but then he turns his attention to the practical aspects of the Christian life. Having been saved by grace, uh, how therefore are we to live? And uh, this is really what we are concerned with um, this morning. Yes, if we're Christians, we're saved by grace, but the issue that we then face is how are we to live? And we are to live by the commands and the expectations of God, which are stated in his word. And the verses that we're going to look at this morning emphasise, firstly, our responsibility, but they also emphasise the difficulty that we will have in obeying God. So these are the things that we want to consider uh, this morning. So I've got three basic points that can be drawn out of these verses. The first thing I, I want us to, to consider is the reality of the flesh. I, I think your version says uh, sinful nature from what was read earlier. Uh, my version says the flesh. So firstly, the reality of the flesh. Verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We'll come in a moment to what it means to walk in the Spirit, what Paul means by that expression. But I want to firstly say a few things about the flesh. I think it's vitally important that we understand what this concept actually means because it's critical for the Christian life. Now, when you read through the Bible as a whole, you'll come across this term flesh in the Greek. It's called sarks. And it can have different meanings depending upon the context. Sometimes flesh simply relates to our physical bodies, uh, flesh and bone. But most often, of course, as I'm sure most of you would realise, it's referring to our condition, our sinful condition. When we read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 and the following verses, 
This is how we are to understand it. Paul is referring to our sinful condition. And when he uses this term flesh, uh, what we really need to grasp is that the, the flesh relates to the whole of our humanity. This term flesh relates to what we are as human beings. Now, you can use the idea of sinful desire in relation to the flesh. Now, when, when I have sinful desires, that is the flesh, but the point is this. The flesh is more than just sinful desire. The, the, the flesh defines me as a human being. Certainly true when I have sinful desires. That's the flesh. But even beyond that, what the scriptures teach is that I dwell in the flesh. Okay? What the scriptures teach is that the flesh is a condition in which I dwell. So in other words, it affects the entirety of my humanity. The flesh as, as a sinful condition affects the way I think. It, it affects my will. It affects my emotions. We could go so far as to say the flesh affects me physically. My body bears the effects of the fall. I am a fallen creature and fallen in the entirety of my humanity. Not just when I desire sinful things. I live and dwell and exist as a fallen creature in the flesh. This is what scripture teaches. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6, we read these words. I'm sure they're words that are well known to us. But we all like an unclean thing. Sorry, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. What the prophet Isaiah is telling us is that everything we do, say and think even though they may be noble things, they cannot be detached from what we actually are. Now let's remember that, that, that Isaiah is a prophet. He's a godly man. And yet he's telling us that even the best things that he does, not just his sinful desires, but even his righteousness is affected as a consequence of the fallen in the eyes of a holy God. Even his goodness, even that which he does that is noble is not acceptable to God because it is affected by sin. It's tainted. Now there is not a, a bad side to Andrew Harrison and a good side to Andrew Harrison. I, I am not a dichotomy. As a human being, I exist in the flesh. It's, it's a condition in which I dwell. Uh, we often refer to the doctrine of total depravity. Uh, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've heard of that doctrine. What does it mean? It means that the fall has affected me in my totality. It, it's probably not an expression that's particularly popular, but in the entirety of my humanity, I am depraved. I have been affected by the fall. Some of you may be sitting here and say, well, hang on a minute. What if we are Christians? Uh, if we have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are new creatures in him. Um, God has written his law on our hearts. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within. 
And every one of these statements is perfectly true. Uh, If you are a Christian, you are a new creature in Christ. The law of God is written on your heart. But guess what? You still dwell in the flesh. You are still a fallen creature and will forever in this life remain a fallen creature. Let me try and give you an example to help us to understand what I'm saying. Let's suppose you have a person who has incurable cancer and um, they have a drug administered to them that helps them to deal with the side effects with the cancer and so through the drug, um, you know, they're able to live a relatively normal life. The drug helps them to have strength and helps them to undertake the the normal responsibilities and so on. Um, But the fact still remains they have incurable cancer. Okay, The, the cancer is a condition which, which is a part of them. The, the drug hasn't removed the cancer. It helps them to deal with the problem, but it hasn't eradicated the problem. And, and this is the same issue for us in a spiritual sense as Christians. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life has not eradicated the flesh. Okay, if, if it had, if God's Spirit had removed the flesh from you, Paul would not be writing these words. Okay, and if the Holy Spirit eradicated the flesh, Paul would not have written much of the New Testament, neither would many of the other writers written much of the New Testament either. Because what are they constantly dealing with? The fact that being in the flesh, we commit sin. We struggle to obey God the way that we should. We read these words by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And when Paul says, I know that in me, that in my flesh, what he's saying is that, that in me as a person, In me as Paul, what I am by nature, there is no good to be found. There is nothing good within me. Let's bear in mind who wrote these words. Was was Paul a a sexual deviant? Was he a pervert? Um, Was he a crazed man? Uh, Was he a molester or a thief uh, or a murderer? Well, he had been a murderer. We know that. He was a man who had persecuted the church. Uh, But when Paul writes these words, he's a converted man. Paul loves the Lord. Paul loves God's people. He labours diligently in the church. He loves the truth. Paul is a converted man. He has God's Holy Spirit. He's given his life to service for Jesus Christ. Yet he says these words. For I know that in me, me as an individual, for me as Paul in my flesh, Nothing good dwells. I'm a converted man, but I'm a fallen man. That's what Paul is saying. I am a fallen man. There's a number of important implications that we can take from this. And like I say, I think it's important that we understand what the Bible means when it refers to the flesh. Um, But I think, first of all, it... It reminds us or says to us that you will never ever be perfect in this life. It debunks the idea of sinless perfection. And and from time to time you do come across a doctrine whereby people seem to think 
that somehow they can get to a point in life, they can rise to a, a sort of a high spiritual plane whereby they will never be troubled by the flesh and never be troubled by sin again. And that is complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense. There is no such thing as, as, a, uh, as a perfect man or woman, sinless perfection in this life. And what this says to us is that every day you live your life, you will need the grace of God. You will need the grace of God because you remain in the flesh. There is not a day that goes by when you will not need God's help for you to live as he would have you to live. There is not a day that goes by when you will not need God's forgiveness. Why? Because you are in the flesh and because you continue to sin. I think another implication is this, and it might sound like a strange remark that I'm about to make, and I hope you can grasp what I mean. Because we remain in the flesh, we need to learn not to trust ourselves. We need to learn not to trust what we are. Everything about Andrew Harrison is fallen. I cannot rely upon my own wisdom. I cannot rely upon my own judgments. I need to understand the world around me and understand myself through the eyes of Scripture. I need God to enable me to see things correctly and to respond to situations correctly. I can't rely upon my wisdom or my judgment or my strength or any of these things because I'm a fallen man. As an individual, I have a propensity towards self-pity. I have a propensity towards judgmentalism. I have a propensity to take situations the wrong way and to, and, and, and to misconstrue what people often mean. Uh, at, at times, I know I get things wrong. At times, I've drawn wrong conclusions and behaved in an inappropriate way. Why? Because I am a man of the flesh and without God's help and the enabling of his spirit, so we fail and so we fall. And I think that this is something that we need to understand. The significance of the flesh and the power of the flesh, it will forever remain with you and therefore you will forever need God's grace and help to live as a Christian. And the second thing I want to draw to your attention, not a building upon what I've just said. Okay, so firstly, the reality of the flesh. Secondly, the power of the flesh. Verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So Paul uses this expression here in verse 16, the lust of the flesh. And uh, often people understand this to, to be referring to sexual desire, the lust of the flesh. Uh, the word lust does in fact just mean desire, but it can mean any kind of desire. And what we need to understand Paul's saying here is that the, that the flesh is always lusting and desiring those things which are contrary to God's ways. The flesh lusts after pride. The flesh lusts after significance. Uh, the, the, the flesh lusts after vengeance. The flesh lusts after laziness, whatever it may be. The flesh is always pulling us away from the things of God into something that is inappropriate, whether it's in our thoughts or our actions. 
But the desires of the flesh are an ever-present reality that are always pulling at us in some form or another. In verse 17, Paul explains what this ultimately means for a Christian. He says this, for the lust, for, sorry, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. We understand Paul's use of the word spirit here to be uh, referring to the Holy Spirit. And, and really what he's describing here is that the Christian, the Christian experience is something like a battleground. On the one hand, you have the flesh, which is always desiring to pull you away from the things of God. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is at work within you, and he is always seeking to pull you into obedience. The Spirit desires one thing, and the flesh desires something else. And Paul says they are contrary to one another. In other words, they are working toward and, and desiring different things. The flesh wants to fuel pride. The spirit wants to fuel humility. The flesh wants to fuel anger, vengeance. The spirit wants to fuel graciousness and patience. The flesh wants to fuel laziness. The spirit wants to fuel discipline. The flesh wants to fuel impurity. The flesh, sorry, the flesh wants to fuel impurity. The spirit wants to fuel restraint. There is a veritable war that takes place continually in the life of every Christian. Why? Because on the one hand, we are fallen creatures in the flesh, the ever-present reality and power of our sinful condition. And at the same time, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within, who is seeking to move us towards godliness. And Paul says, these two entities resist one another. He says in verse 17, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So that you do not do the things that you wish. Now there's two ways that we can understand what Paul means here. Some interpret it like this. Okay, so you do not do the things that you wish. Some interpret Paul to mean the spirit resists the flesh. Because you have the Holy Spirit and he resists the flesh, you do not do the, the naturally sinful things that you would wish to do. Others interpret it the other way around. The flesh resists the spirit so that you do not do the godly things that you would wish to do. There is a sense in which both are true. Both are true. But it would seem almost certainly that the second interpretation is the accurate one. Um, it's certainly the view that Luther and Calvin took. Um, the flesh resists the spirit so that you do not do the things that you wish. And one of the reasons why I think we can safely say that this is what Paul means here is because he takes the same idea and fleshes it out further in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, and I'll, I'll read a portion in a moment, but Paul describes the continual frustration that he has, on the one hand desiring to serve God. The Holy Spirit dwells within him, he loves the Lord and wants to serve the Lord, yet at the same time 
he finds that godliness is resisted at every turn. You listen to Paul's words, Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 25. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that, sorry, how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that is evil present with me. The one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now, there, again, there are different interpretations as to what Paul is actually saying here. And some argue that Paul could not be writing as a Christian, or at least as a mature Christian believer. And they say that the language is too strong to describe a Christian because Paul speaks of himself being in captivity to the law of sin. Now, it's true that Christians are not held captive to the flesh and sin in the sense that they once were before they were converted. That, that's true. But the majority opinion with regards to this passage is that Paul is actually describing himself as a mature believer. And although the language is strong, what he's saying is that though he desires to serve God and he delights in the law of God after the inward man, yet he finds another law at work in his members the law of sin and flesh. In other words, the flesh is always resisting his desires to obey and to serve and to worship God. The flesh is an ever-present and powerful reality. And Paul is saying of this he can never be rid, at least not until the end when he goes to be with Christ and then he's perfected. It says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. In other words, one day he will be delivered from the flesh when he goes to be with Christ, but not to then. Now look, people can debate as to what Paul means, and the majority opinion is as I've described, but one thing we can say for sure is this. If you are an earnest Christian you know that this is actually true of yourself. If you are a sincere Christian, you know that serving God and, and worshipping God and, and obeying God as you should is a difficult thing. You know that that's a reality in your own experience. I actually don't have to convince you of it. You know it's true. We can all testify to the fact that the Christian life is difficult. If you are a believer, you love Christ. If you are a believer, you want to serve Christ, you want to obey Christ, you want to lay down your life for Christ. And in fact, you do do these things. But you know what? It's hard, isn't it? 
It's hard work. Why? Because you're a creature of the flesh. The spirit drives you in one direction and the flesh resists. It pulls you back in another. As Paul say, I do not do the things that I wish. We can identify it with, with this in our own practical experience. You want to cultivate a devotional life. You want to read more of the Word of God. You want to rise earlier to pray. You want to start reading some, some more meaty theological books and getting your head around doctrine. You know what? The flesh kicks in, doesn't it? It's hard to get up. There's always other things to do. The flesh doesn't resist when you want to watch sport. It doesn't resist when you read the newspaper. Move yourself towards the things of God and there is resistance. It's hard to read the Bible. I think one of the hardest disciplines in the Christian life is prayer. I think if we're honest, prayer is very rarely easy. Yes, there are, we enjoy prayer and we pray and we benefit from it. But it's often difficult, isn't it? It's often hard work. The mind strays, there's distractions. Um, we, we just struggle and we, we wrestle with it. We persist and we persevere, but it's hard work. Why? Because of the flesh, that's why. Because you're a fallen creature. I've never yet met a Christian who would honestly say prayer is an easy discipline. Meditating upon the word is an easy discipline. They are not. They, they at times, are hard work and it's often the case. You want to witness to that colleague at work, there's a man or woman with whom you've built a bit of a friendship with and you want to share the gospel with them, you feel burdened for them and the flesh kicks in. How many of us find witnessing to others an easy thing? Some people do have a natural kind of gravity towards witnessing, but most of us will struggle with it. We find it difficult to express ourselves. We know we're going to make mistakes. We're fearful that things will be put to us that we can't answer. We're going to get our words muddled up. We're going to become confused and so on. We feel deeply burdened for this person. But what happens? The flesh kicks in. Don't even try. You're only going to mess it up. Leave it to some. Just invite them to church at best. We become fearful, we feel awkward, we become incapacitated. The flesh. You want to deal with that sin. We all have to deal with every sin, but the reality is there are some sins in life that will just dog us all of our days. Pride is a perennial. Every single human heart is infected with pride. Puritans used to call it the enemy within. There is not a human being alive that doesn't struggle with pride. But there are other sins as well that are fairly common to all of us. Lust. Lust is just a hardy perennial that's hard to deal with. Covetousness is a hardy perennial. It's like the weeds you pull out of next week, they're just back again. You want to deal with these particular sins you pray and you seek God's grace and you even implement strategies to help you to overcome and guess what? The flesh kicks in. The flesh does not give up pride easily. It does not give up lust. It does not give up covetousness. It is forever pulling you in the direction of these sins. Now I'm not suggesting... Don't get the wrong end of the stick this morning. I'm not suggesting 
that trying to live as a faithful Christian is a lost cause. I am not saying that. Okay, We will serve God and we will make progress. We will bear fruit. But the point is this, it will never, ever be easy. It will always be a struggle. In some areas you will grow more quickly than other areas. You will know periods of time where you seem to go through blessing and, and extended growth. But there are only periods of time and in certain areas. Every single one of us will know the difficulty of what it is to live as a Christian. There's some important implications I think we can take from this before we move on to the third point. Let me put it to you this morning that if you are finding the Christian life difficult, there is a, a sincere desire to serve the Lord, but you find it difficult, it's hard work just being a faithful Christian in the home and in the workplace and, and in the church and and serving Christ the way you want to. If you find it a difficult thing and you have to persevere and there's, a, there's some blood, sweat and tears, let me say that you're probably on the right track. You're probably faithfully living the Christian life. If it's hard work but you persevere, you're on the right track. Let me say on the other hand, if you regard yourself to be an earnest and sincere Christian, but the Christian, the Christian life for you is pretty much just a walk in the park it's all good, it's all rosy, there's never really any concerns, there's not too much in the way of blood, sweat and tears. I'd put it to you this morning, most likely you're probably kidding yourself. You in fact may not be a Christian at all. Uh, the Christian life is never easy. It's not always really, really difficult, but it's never easy. It's never easy. If your Christianity is a stroll in the park... There's something wrong. There's something wrong. You listen to Paul's words. Listen to Paul's words. Verse 17, Galatians 5, verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul indicates here that faithfulness to God will be resisted at every turn. Never will it become easy because never will the flesh be eradicated. You know, many Christians go through times of great discouragement because of the difficulty associated with living as a faithful Christian. I remember a young man once saying to me in my car and he, he was moved to the point of tears and he said, no sooner have I finished reading my Bible and praying and, and he said, I am bombarded with lustful thoughts. He said, I, I want to walk faithfully with the Lord and, and obey him. I, I want to love the Lord. He said, I go out and he said, my mind is bombarded. He said, it is a constant struggle. Uh, he said, it, you know, it's, it's just hard work. And I said to him, thank God, brother, it's a struggle. Thank God it's a struggle. You can't determine what you are exposed to. You can't de determine what comes to your mind. But the issue is what do you do with it? And the fact was in this man's life was he was resisting. He was wrestling and fighting and seeking God's grace to overcome. Yes, it was hard, but he was persevering. And that is the nature, my friend, of the Christian life. It is a problem if you give in. 
and it's all easy and you are not troubled by lust and covetousness and hatred. It's a problem if you are not bothered by these things. But if it is a struggle to deal with them and you are seeking God's grace and you are endeavouring to overcome, guess what, my friend? You are living the Christian life. You are living as a Christian should live because you will never get to a point when you will stop being troubled. If you get to a point in your life when sin is no longer a problem and the flesh is no longer a problem, you're not living as a Christian. The great Apostle Paul, he could say, though he delights in the law of God after the inward man, yet he finds another law at work within, the law of sin, the law of the flesh. Take heart, Christian. Is it a struggle? It's a good struggle. It's a good struggle. Keep trusting in Christ. Keep looking to God for the grace that you need. Keep turning from sin. Keep looking to the Lord. Take up the good fight of faith because that's what the Christian life is. It's a fight of faith. The third and final thing that I want to consider before I can close is the antidote to the flesh. The reality of the flesh, the power of the flesh, and thirdly, the antidote to the flesh. Verse 16, and this is really where we began. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfil the lusts of the flesh. Now in some versions this appears as a command, as though Paul is commanding us to do something. He's not actually commanding us to do anything at this point. He's making a statement of fact. He's making a statement of fact. Um, If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfil the lust of the flesh. And what he's saying here is not that as you walk in the spirit, the flesh will cease to bother you. I mean, there would be no point in my sperm if he was saying. He's not not saying that if you walk in the spirit, that the flesh will cease to be a problem. The flesh will always be a problem. What he's saying is that as we walk in the spirit, God does enable us to subdue the flesh and to overpower the flesh. He's not saying that you will cease to be bothered by the flesh. You will always be bothered by the flesh. And sometimes you will fail because you are weak. Nevertheless, the remedy to the flesh and not giving in entirely to the flesh is walking in the spirit. What do we mean by walking in the spirit? Whenever you read of walking in the Bible, particularly in terms of a a moral or a spiritual way, it's talking about your pattern of life, the way you pattern your life. Just as the flesh is an all-encompassing thing which involves the whole of our humanity, walking in the spirit means that the whole of our humanity, the entirety of our being, must be brought into sync with the will and purpose of God. And one writer put it like this. He said, We are to live daily by the influence, direction and power of the Holy Spirit. We are to live in the sphere of relationship to the Holy Spirit. We are to live as those under the control of the Holy Spirit. So what's being said is that the whole of our lives must be orientated 
toward the Spirit and brought under the dominion of God's Holy Spirit. We can still ask the question and should ask the question, well, what exactly does this mean? I think that there are, there are two key New Testament passages which help us to understand what Paul means here. And so we'll turn to them. I'm going to make a couple of comments on each one. Firstly, Ephesians 5, 17 to 18. Ephesians 5, verses 17 to 18. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's a couple of important things that we need to note in this in these verses. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is drawing a comparison. Now, before I was a Christian man, I I would drink. I wasn't converted until I was a a young adult, and and before I was converted, my friends and I would go to the pubs and we would we would get drunk. Um, and when you when you become intoxicated, of course, it affects the whole of your body. Um, it's actually the ethanol and the alcohol in the drink that that makes you drunk. And it affects everything. When it passes through your bloodstream, through all of your major organs and through your cells and your brain, it affects you in your entirety. We've all seen drunk people, if we haven't experienced, they can't walk properly. Their whole sense of judgment goes. Um, their speeches are figuring in with blur and words. Some of them become very, very sentimental. I want to hug you and other people, you know, become very, it just affects them in their entirety. What, what Paul is drawing a comparison here. Okay, if we are to live as God would have us to live, we must, comparatively speaking, be soaked in the Spirit, as it were. There, there cannot be any aspect of your life that does not come under the control of the Holy Spirit and the will of God. You, you will never overcome the flesh if you have a mentality that some parts of your life are, are sort of beyond God's domain. You're free to live however you like. In other words, there must be a mentality that the whole of our lives... Everything about us must be subjected to God and come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Just as alcohol affects somebody in their entirety, so must the Spirit. The other thing that we see that's important here in this passage is that we must be filled with the Spirit continually. Again, Paul is writing to believers when he says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a continual, ongoing thing. Now, Christians don't lose the Holy Spirit. He doesn't doesn't leak out and we need to top up. But what Christians do lose or become dull of is the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so every single day we must come under the influence and dominion of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the grace that was necessary... To live as a Christian last week is not sufficient for today. The food that you ate last week is not sufficient for today. I assume we've all had breakfast. If we haven't, we're going to have lunch and dinner. Why? Because your body needs sustenance today. The food from last month won't help you now. And you know, the grace that enabled you to live in this fallen world and to deal with the flesh last week and last year is not sufficient for today. 
You need the grace of God every single day if you are to live faithfully for God, if you are to deal with this problem of the flesh. The flesh doesn't go on holiday, people. It doesn't rest. You're not going to get to a point next year when all of a sudden sin's not a problem. I'm not going to lust anymore. I'm not going to covet anymore. You can irritate me as much as you like and it just won't bother me. It's never going to happen. For me, sin becomes an issue as soon as I get up in the morning. The kids irritate me. Oh, I love them to pieces. But... And then I get the phone call that I don't want and I'm busy. Whatever it may be. I love my wife dearly, but I can't say in all honesty that when I go to the shops, I think, she's a nice looking lady. I'm a fallen man. I'm very happy with my circumstances. I'm very content in life. But I'd be lying to say that covetousness was never an issue. It is. I need God's spirit every day to help me. We glean that from these verses, but let us build upon them a little bit further and this really will get to the crux of the issue. There's a parallel passage that we find to Ephesians 5.17-18 in Colossians 3. Ephesians and Colossians are like sister epistles and the things that Paul writes in both kind of correspond together. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And I think we really get to the heart of what it means to be filled with the Spirit and thus to walk in the Spirit. Paul says, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And what we find here is that the language is very similar to what we read in Ephesians chapter 5. Whereas in Ephesians chapter 5 Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit, in this corresponding passage, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. How are you filled by the Holy Spirit? By letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. By letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Our lives are brought into harmony with the will of God as we meditate upon Scripture and we apply its lessons to our lives and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to obey. Now, I think there's a really important thing here. There are no magic formulas to the Christian life. This idea of walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit is not some kind of mystical thing. If you want to know the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you must be a student of God's Word. You must meditate upon Scripture with a view to applying its lessons to your life and praying that God would enable you to do so. There are no magic formulas. There are no secret or missing keys. You simply cannot get beyond the fact that if you want to live as a faithful Christian, you must pay careful attention to the word of God with a view to obeying it. God works through his word. The Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of what? The spirit of truth. 
because it's the truth through which he works. My friends, if you ignore the word of God, you will forever be enslaved to the flesh. You will forever have your life pulled and directed by the flesh. Now, as I've stated, the flesh will continue to bother you even if you do read and obey the word. But it's through the word that you're strengthened. It's through the word that your mind is renewed. It's through the word that you find the the encouragement, the strength, the wisdom, the challenges, all that you need to live before God. God works through his word. When Christ was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? Quoted the word of God. The word of God must be in our hearts. It must be in our minds. It must be in our mouths. God's people are to be people of this book. It is a travesty in this day and age that so many who profess to be Christians are actually ignorant of the book that they claim to believe. How will they ever live faithfully before God, overcoming the world, the flesh and the devil, if they don't pay careful attention to Holy Scripture? We have to pray over the Word of God. We have to read it, meditate upon it. We have to apply its lessons to our lives. We are to seek the grace of God that we need through his word. Galatians 5 and verse 18 is another way of expressing walking in the spirit and Paul calls it being led by the spirit. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I don't have time to explain all this part of the verse means you are not under the law. But certainly as we walk in the Spirit, which means through the Word of God, so we are led by God's Holy Spirit. God leads us and enables us to live as he would have us to live. Well, let me conclude this morning. The Christian life will never, ever be easy. But you are not a helpless victim. God is on your side. You are engaged in a great and titanic struggle which takes place in your soul all the time. Who is the principal enemy that we face in life as Christians? Well, in a sense, it's the world, it's the devil. But do you know who your enemy is? It's you. You are your own enemy. Because you dwell in the flesh. And as a consequence, so there is a continual struggle. But by God's Spirit, through the Word, you can subdue the flesh and you will subdue the flesh. You will learn to die to self. You will learn, though difficult that it is, to serve and obey God. The flesh will ambush you. It will continually frustrate you. It will raise its ugly head at every turn. It will make godliness difficult. It will cause you pain. It will cause you anguish. The flesh will make you uh, cry. It will move you to tears. The flesh will make you loathe yourself. But you know what, my friends? The flesh will not have the final say. The flesh will not have the final say. It will make life difficult. But Listen to Paul's words. 
I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. And one day, praise be unto God, the flesh will be eradicated entirely, never ever to bother you again. Romans chapter 7 verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank so I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul looked forward to the day when finally the flesh would be done away. But until then, it will be a fight. It will be a struggle. But by God's grace, we can and will subdue and overcome. Though not perfectly, we will serve him, love him and obey him to the praise and the glory of his name. May he help and bless us all. Amen.